From next Saturday, Detectives Cagney and Lacey have a weekend beat at this time, five past nine. Pauline Collins, Lenny Henry and Andrew Lloyd Webber talk Saturday matters with Sue Lawley in 50 minutes. Now on BBC One Scotland's sports scene with Dougie Donnelly. And welcome to episode three of series two of Scottish Rugby Blog podcast. I'm Cammy Black, and this week I'm joined by Rory Baldwin. Hello. And Brody Smithers. Hello. So we'll start by looking back over uh, the Scotland Australia game, um, which felt like a result that had been uh, coming over the last three games, Brody. It had, yes, um, and I think um, Australia took us for granted a wee bit and were a bit lackadaisical, and they paid the, the price for that. Um, I thought Scotland were excellent, good pressure, very clinical, and punished the uh, Australian mistakes very well. Rory, um, I mean, Scotland maybe, uh, in a sense, had a little bit of luck as well, um, given Australia didn't take all their chances. It wasn't all... Um, it wasn't by any means a, f- a flawless performance from Scotland. No, I mean, I wouldn't say that they, uh, you know, they didn't clinically dispatch Australia. Uh, it wasn't a humbling, you know, the, the game came down to the end. But at the same time, Scotland were probably in control of that for most of the game. Um, I mean, there was a lot of, a lot. if you look in the Australian press, there's a lot of thing, a lot of words like brave and monumental and things like that. But, um, the, you know, Scotland were the better team than Australia for most of that game. So... Uh, yeah, I think it probably is something that's been it's been building for a while. And who did you actually settle on for your man in the match, Rory? Because you chose about five. And <laughs> yeah, well, you see, I, originally from from sitting watching it, I was sitting thinking it is Finn, and then I kind of thought, well, did Finn play that? You know, he had he had some again some golden patches. Did he play it like that all the way through? And then I sort of thought about it a bit, and but I posted my posted it up as Finn. For the first like couple of people that read the match report, Finn Russell was the man of the match, and then I went back and made it a joint man of the match between Finn and Barkley because I think the pack, you know, someone in the pack deserved some uh, some credit as well. But yeah, joint joint man of the match, I say. Um, as with we always do, it's probably worth uh, going through the player ratings because we always end up talking about the game itself when we do it. Um, and John has done the player ratings, but uh, isn't with us this week. Um. We'll do the order that he's done them in. He's starting at the bracket with Greg Tonks, who um, Brody is probably, I don't know, Scotland's fourth choice fullback. Yeah, if that. Um, but I thought he was good. I thought he was, um, as John put in his uh, in his ratings piece, solid and stable. Um, uh, a three fullback. It was brilliant. Uh, yeah, he was didn't really put a foot wrong. Wasn't Stuart Hawk, then very few are. So, um, yeah, no, I was given the amount of... Um, sort of preamble to his his appearance and the sort of uh, the nerves around how he was going to play I thought he actually came out and did a good job and do you think we're, we're going to see a, a Tonks revival now Rory is that him back in the reckoning or, or is he likely to drop down the pecking order do you think? um yeah I mean I think probably I'm not sure I mean Tooney has used uh, Seymour as as fullback cover at Glasgow um so I mean Seymour and Maitland and Hogg are probably all Kind of fullback covers, and then Duncan Taylor, I guess, is is number uh, is number four. So uh, yeah, he might he might drop down, but I, I suppose that'll probably depend on how London Irish go in the, in the Premiership next season. If 
if he's playing um, playing blinding every week, he does have a bit of you know he does have a bit of versatility about him. Um, he might might pop up in the bench, and certainly he might you know he might train with the squad for in the autumn or the, the Six Nations. And and was there any any more he could have done to defend that Falau try? Um, sh- well, short of like grabbing his ankles and like forcing him to fall from about twenty feet in the air onto his head. Which would have been probably a red card. Uh, there probably wasn't much he could have done. You don't think he's got it in him to Michael Jordan? It. I don't think so. It would have been. It would have been amazing to see them both competing out of that height. But I don't. The know. height. I mean, the height Falau got up to was astonishing. His knees were at um, Tonks's shoulder height. It was at least. I, I mean, there's some photos where it looks like you know he's practically standing on his shoulders. That is an. It's an extraordinary piece of athleticism, and uh, you know. So sorry to answer the question you gave to Rory there. I don't think it was a lot anyone could have done about that, to be honest. No, and then Lee Jones, um, John's gone for 7 out of 10, which I, I think is probably fair, Brody. I mean, he, he um, I thought his sort of direction for the um, Watson try was absolutely superb piece of sevens play, um, but maybe a little bit weak, I think, defensively for one of the Australia tries that came up the line a little bit quick. He did, yeah, and he got he got rummeled over the top of him. But he, um, I thought he was okay, you know. His, like you say, his his footwork on the on the try was excellent. He wasn't through want of trying, you know. Previously, when we've seen him in a Scotland shirt, he's just looked a bit kind of small and anonymous on the wing out there, like a, a kind of schoolboy playing his first game. But you know, he's sort of come into his own now, and he's in some kind of form. And I think he'll struggle to keep the jersey, but. He's done himself no kind of uh, mischief on this tour. You know, he's been okay. Would you agree with that, Rory? Do you think that's Lee Jones back in the reckoning now, or or is he in because others are out? Um, I mean, it's tricky. You know, he was he's genuinely there on merit for his you know for his form in the tail end of the season for Glasgow. I mean, he where his defence and things like that were superb. Um, but yeah, you, you wonder. I mean, you've got he's got Visser, Maitland, Seymour ahead of him and then he's probably at the moment he's probably edging that that next slot um over Hughes and Hoyland um but you know maybe not this year but next year we, we might start to see some of the youngest from the under 20s like so Darcy Graham and that start to come through um and I think the competition's going to going to get a bit hotter on the wings you know we've, we've kind of struggled for for out and out pacey wings for a while and I think there's going to be a few coming through so um, it'll be an, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think he'll probably he'll still um, stick around. It depends how long Maitland's injury um, lasts for. Whether I mean, I imagine he'll be he'll be back at the start of next season, and it will be almost back to square one in terms of the competition. Um, everyone will have to to do their best to impress the new boss. Yeah, cause, I mean, he was out of favour under was it? I'm trying to think. Was it was he selected by um, Andy Robinson? Was that the last time he played? It was, yeah, when uh, when Dooney was the, um, what was he, the attack coach under attack Andrew Robertson. Coach, yeah, because he scored so against it, France, so yeah, and then... It's kind of gone full circle, yeah, he's come back, so he fell out of favour under Big Vern and Scott Johnson and whatever went on there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, props to him for coming back, and, you know, it, I suppose it just it sh- goes to show, you can still do it. Yeah, and I suppose it shows a different, maybe a different mindset from Townsend, if he's, uh, he, he has his own preferences and his own... Um, for, for you know, for for his own players that he trusts, I guess um, it would just be interesting to see whether or not he sticks. This is a case of using players that he's um, familiar with for the initial tour, and whether or not 
um, the same players carry on into the autumn. Um, speaking of which, Rory Hughes um, was only on for uh, the first half um, because of a knock to the face, but um, quite a quiet game, John thought, uh, Rory. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think he's yeah he's probably in the he's one in the the Tim Visser mold of a, a kind of big or a Sean Lamont a kind of big heavy heavy winger that's a bit um, harder hitting and maybe he's more useful coming inside for you know and looking for work and stuff. But he he hasn't uh, he hasn't done does amazingly well on the tour. I mean, no, nobody so far has has been really poor on the tour. I don't think apart from a couple. But uh, yeah, Hughes is, is maybe not. Uh, He's not advanced his claim. I mean, I'd say of the wingers who are between Jones, Hyland, and Hughes who are looking to sort of take their claim for a, a wing berth once the once the Lions are back in the fold, um, I think Hughes has probably done the least. Uh, do you think, Brody, then it's a case of that he's a he's a very good player at pro club level, but maybe is a is found wanting against the likes of the bigger teams like Australia and. Um, I don't know, um, Ireland and Wales, and maybe more someone that could come in against the Italy's? I don't even think he's that great at club level. Um, I mean, John's given him a 6 out of 10 for for the game there. Um, I think that's quite generous. I don't think he had a very good game at all, Um, and I don't think he's had a very good tour. And uh, like you say, he seems to flatter when playing against um, easier teams. But come up against anything particularly tough and he's just kind of found a bit wanting positionally and in terms of his creativity and stuff as a winger I think he's just basically a bit of a kind of flat track bully it's kind of if he's running at opposition that are falling for tackles then he looks great but I'm not sure he stands up Um, I mean I watched the Argentina England game and looked at some of the big Argentina wingers and I thought well you know this is the kind of fashion world rugby now is to have these 6 foot 3 sort of 18 stone wingers and yeah, you know, Hughes fits that mould, but he's just not got the kind of guile to be truly world class, in my opinion. Rory, is that harsh, do you think? Or I mean, it sort of seems fair to mm. me. but Yeah, kind of hard, harsh but fair, I think. Um, I mean, it, it's it's interesting. He's still quite early on in his career. Um, if you think about sort of the Lamont boys when they first started out they were a little bit like that a little bit one-dimensional I mean it probably you could argue it took Sean Lamont till close to the end of his career to become you know a a fairly you know rounded rounded player um so yeah he's still got time but I think um by the time possibly that he you know he would develop at international level I think there will be younger guys coming through who have got more complete uh, skill sets and and possibly a bit more pace as well um, and then in the centre, um, six out of ten for Alex Dunbar. I mean, uh, Dunbar's gone uh, on his holly bobs um, a little bit early, um, and, and maybe sort of question marks about whether or not he should have gone on tour at all, Rory, or is he is he there because there's a lack of options? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think you could say there's a lack of options with uh, Scotland in the centre. Um, although you know a couple of injuries and stuff haven't haven't helped, but um, yeah, I mean he hasn't he had he had a, a quiet tour. Um, he, he, the Australia game was the better of the two that he played, uh, but yeah, he he's still, still for me, he's not uh, not carrying enough ball, um, and he's he's marshalling the defence well, but I just have a I have a sneaky feeling that um, that once once Hugh Jones is back, he's going to struggle to he'll, he'll be lumped in with Duncan Taylor, and Taylor's seems to be um, he seems to be the coming man, so 
Um, but yeah, it could be uh, maybe a, a couple of games too far. You could have you could have left him at home, and then we'd maybe have seen more of Nick Grigg. I'd, I'd like to see Nick Grigg um, this weekend, but we'll have to wait and see what the two new Tombola throws up. Um, and then uh, nine out of ten for Duncan Taylor. Um, Brody, I mean that that's up there with um, your verdict on Hog against Ireland. Is that you know is that justified? Do you think in this case? Yeah, he was my man of the match. Actually, I thought Screech was um, was excellent and everything he did. His creativity was really good. His experience was really good. His talking to his inside man. Oh no, wait, his outside man because he was at twelve, wasn't he? Um, but yeah, I just thought of all the players on the pitch on um, Saturday, he was the one I felt that sort of dragged it by the scruff of the neck across the line, even if that's just taking that interception in the first half or it's, um, you know, being part of that Watson try. I just think he's he's a player on form. He's playing for a very good club side, and that's transferring to international level, and that's what we need. We need more players like Duncan Taylor. Saturday's win was magnificent. It really was. And, you know, Dunbar and he had their work cut out in defence. They were too big. Australian centres they were playing against um, but for me for Duncan Taylor to, to do those defensive duties and then do the creative stuff that for me was what gave made him my man of the match yeah and he's getting quite a lot of recognition elsewhere I think um, Eddie Jones I think has been quoted either recently on the par red somewhere that he'd he'd been quoted as um, wanting to know how uh, Duncan Taylor had escaped um, and been sort of snatched from under England's noses um, so it's nice to see one of our um, boys getting a bit of recognition, Rory. Yeah, I mean, you know, we can. Um, don't think we would have swapped him for Lee Dixon, but um, yeah, I think uh, Taylor is uh, Taylor's a great player, and what Brody says is is, is right. It's the creativity that gives him that extra that extra edge. Uh, you know, he does he does the hard carries. Um, he can batter batter through lines. Um, he can he can defend well, but he's got that extra. You know, he's got the eye for a, eye for an interception. He's got uh, pace off the mark, and he's he's got good hands. And I think we you know we said it last week when we were talking about uh, talking about Forty. Townsend's going to be looking for guys like that who have got a pretty complete skill set. Um, that's what he's going to look for from one to fifteen for the you know for for his tenure. I think so. Guys who have a sort of one dimensional element to their game who are maybe you know like a kicker or um, you know, just a battering ram. They're probably going to be less useful to Townsend than, than guys who can do a little bit of everything. So we're we going to see a return for Dunbar's banana kicks. Could be, yeah. I mean, yeah, he'll maybe show them show them off in training. And say, look, boss, this is what I can do. Put, put me in. <laughs> um, and Brody, now this might be a sore point for you because John has broken the cardinal rule that you laid down, uh, which is no one gets a ten, and he's given Finn Russell a ten. Are you upset by this? <laughs> I'm not upset. I'm not angry. I'm I'm just I'm disappointed. You know, <laughs> no one no one should get a ten. Where do we go from here? You know, yeah. What what does Finn Russell have to do now? You know, um, beat the All Blacks. Well, yeah, but even then he wouldn't get a ten, would he? Dan Carter. Let, let's say Dan Carter. The last time the Lions played, that was kind of ten-ish performance. Yeah. Um, you know, Finn was great on Saturday. He, it was one of those games where everything was coming off. He was in for a lot of rough treatment again, which just shows you that opposition are targeting him and targeting him a lot. I mean, Hooper made it his personal kind of vendetta to knock Finn Russell down every time he, he got rid of the ball. But, you know, I think he, he's a 9 out of 10 there. Definitely not a 10 out of 10. Um, 
I'm glad he's dropped the headband. He's got rid of that particular comfort blanket that he used to wrap around his head long after the injury's gone. Seemed to replace it with a kind of um, hip-hop-esque face plaster, but of course when that came off we saw the extent of the wound. Um, but yeah, he was he was good. He was Finn Russell went works, and you know, what what more do you want at ten really? Um, and and Rory, I mean, are you happy to see a, a ten for Finn, or, or is it you know, did, is John maybe getting a bit carried away? Oh, yeah, John's uh, he's he's enthusiastic and he, and he loves the Glasgow boys, so that's maybe that's maybe a point point worth a point extra for each of them, um, you know, in a shocking show of bias, I have to say. But, I wonder uh, if he'd uh, wonder if he'd have continued that post the news of the Montpellier move. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe not. Been, <laughs> he's got a seven and a half or an eight or something. So I see that's been the, the, there was a statement the BBC came out and said that's complete nonsense. Um, so I don't know what's going on there. I assume somebody's trying to get him a bigger pay packet at Glasgow, yeah. presumably. Maybe he's got the same agent as Greg Lindor. Maybe <laughs> possibly, yeah. It's obviously a very effective operator. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, I think uh, an eight or a nine would 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 have been good, as Brody says. It's it w- it was the best performance in that game, so you you could it de- depends how relatively you, you award the scores, but uh, yeah, it wasn't um, it wasn't Dan Carter in 05 level, but uh, you know it's it's great to see for the second week in a row he's done very little wrong. Um, that was pretty much what we said we wanted from him after the Six Nations. Um, and you know the Glasgow season, we wanted him to stop sort of falling asleep or from wacky passes to nobody. Um, and I think actually, you know, the call up to the Lions, he might not get any game time, but the fact that he's going to be training with Sexton and Farrell, who are guys who pick their moments very well, um, I think that you know that could that could do him some good, even though everyone's kind of gutted that he, you know that he's not possibly going to play much. Um, I think the experience actually for in Finn's case is. Um, could, could do him could do him good in terms of developing his game further. Uh, yeah, because that's something I was going to ask uh, Brody, and, and Rory's nicely segged into it, whether or not um, you would agree with Rory that it's better Finn being with the Lions and picking up that experience and not playing than it is him starting against Fiji. I don't know. I mean, you get the impression that Finn Russell's not ever really going to change his game. You know, he's still like a sort of child that's been given fizzy juice when he goes on the pitch you know he's got this kind of um impulse control thing that that works probably 80 percent of the time and 20 percent not i think he'd do gatland's head in uh, and for that i think it's it's great anything that upsets gatland i think is a good thing um in terms of actually development for finn russell don't know don't know that would make, I tell you what, I would watch that sitcom of uh, Gatland and Russell. He's <laughs> a, mis- a mismatched pair of cops, the young rookie um, yeah. you know, <laughs> driving his by the book, um, his senior officer crazy. Yeah, There'd Gatland be some serious be bromance going on, wouldn't there? There'd be some real tension in the car. Yeah, or do or do odd couple style, and you know, Finn's the messy one who goes out clubbing till two in the morning, and Gatland's <laughs> the, de- the divorcee, midlife crisis guy, sort of sitting on the sofa watching uh, watching box sets. He'd need to uh, he'd need to grow his goatee back if he was going to be going to be bad cop. True. Yeah. Well, if, if anybody's you know if, if there are any TV executives out there you know do get in touch, we're quite happy to pitch that. How yeah. about um, Gatland as the police chief and Ali Price and Finn Russell as the kind of uh, Twenty One <laughs> Jump Street esque oh, sort of would be... cops who just keep getting into all sorts of crazy jabes. 
that would be that would be awesome. Um, speaking of which, uh, let's talk about Ali Price, who um, magnificently um, has has sent out, a, you know, broken the social media code of you know only sending out pre-approved marketing messages um, and. Um, said, oh, so that's Finn starting the first test and being rested then, I think, or something along those lines <laughs> after the Lions game. Oh, did he? I missed that. Yeah. Um, but um, 8 out of 10, um, you know, keeping the tempo, John said, yeah, you know, sharp again, always on the shoulder for support and keeping the tempo up. And um, I think we were maybe looking at, um, he, you know, who's, who's going to come in as a second fiddle to Price now because he seems to have cemented the the position for himself in Lado's absence and fits with Townsend's game plan a bit better. Yeah, uh, I mean he's he's the one that's gonna he's gonna set the tempo for the games, and that's what he's doing. Yeah, you're you're right. It's tricky to see. Do you want uh, do you want a guy on the bench, say a George Horn or a Sam Adelgo Klein, who can keep that up, or do you or do you go for something someone that's a little more of a steadying influence, like say Greg Lado? Who is the obvious choice? Um, to who might be better if, there, if there's a game that needs closing out. Uh, I guess the hope is that the the fast attacking play gets Scotland so far ahead that we don't get into close games anymore. But it's a sad fact that that's probably not going to be the case um, for for most of the teams that we play. And Brody, Ali Price for you now, first choice scrum half for Scotland. Yeah, I would suspect he you know he fits that. Tooney plays the fastest rugby in the West mold, doesn't he? You know, he's still he's up and around the edges and he he's going for it. But he'll get found out, you know, I mean he'll hit us he'll hit a wall at some point and have to adapt his game. And whether that means we then see, you know, uh grade law or you know, whoever coming in and, and doing something different, um, you know, I don't know, but he's I don't know, his kicking game is is sort of um positional play it can all improve but he's hungry at the moment and he's exciting and yeah why not i was just watching the you know watching the chiefs game this morning um it'd be interesting uh, to see if dave rennie's um has any sway in bringing finley christie over because he looked quite decent and he's scottish born so um yeah and he's, he's that that style of, of kind of of nine as well yeah so it'd be interesting if you got some well, i suppose there's already george home but if you you know, I think um, we might talk about the bench later on, but the other option at Glasgow is Pergos, I guess, who isn't doesn't necessarily fit with that fast game plan. No, I mean he's. Uh, I mean, I think he can though. I, I've seen, you know, we've seen Pergos play to a tempo before, um, but he's. I think he's sort of suffering. There was a few guys on the on the site earlier suggesting that it, it's just. Whichever scrum half comes on and kicks a dodgy box kick will be rounded on by the pack, the pack of <laughs> uh, of, of keyboard warriors. And uh, Pergos is getting it because Laidlaw is away with the Lions. Um, but uh, and you know he gets he gets uh, he gets away with it, but uh, Laidlaw Laidlaw doesn't or something. But uh, yeah, I think um, he doesn't. Uh, the last few times he's come on, he's kind of suffered in comparison to Price. Um, I don't think I don't think Henry's a bad player. Um, and he does have some game management, but it's one of these, it's one of these things. He's a bit like maybe like a, like Duncan Weir or Rory Jackson. You know, they were they were groomed as the next big thing for ages, stuck in the stuck in the logjam behind the likes of you know Dan Parks or Phil Godman or whoever, and then suddenly they've been overtaken, and the next big thing is now, um, 
coming from the next generation and they might you know they might find themselves uh sort of cast adrift a bit like like weir has been certainly um yeah and then in the forwards brody i mean that you know the it suddenly feels like we're starting to get a bit of depth um in the front row it, it does, um, and you know it. It seems absurd because it was such a good win, but I don't think the front row actually really stood out bizarrely, um, and and that sounds ridiculous because we really took the Aussies on up front and and kind of went for it. But I, I kind of looked at. I mean, John's given Gordon Reed a seven, Fraser Brown a six, and uh, Xander Ferguson a seven. And I kind of agree with that, um, although I do think. Xander Ferguson needs to stop getting involved in fights because it's just getting embarrassing now. He's he's our Mario Otoji. He just doesn't. <laughs> he he writes BMXs rather than writes poetry. He just <laughs> he he actively runs in to get involved, um, and it, it just I just think he's going to get chinned. Maybe um, he's just maybe he's really good friends with Ryan Wilson and doesn't like it when people pick on him. Well, Ryan Wilson, Rory Hughes, and Ferguson seem to have a bit of a, a kind of, you know, trium vitae of of um, pushing and shoving. It's, um, but I think he, you know, he he doesn't need to do that. He doesn't strike me as that kind of player, if you like. Mm. I think there's a lot of kind of there's a lot of bluster in it. I wonder if it's an age thing. He's sort of trying to, um, I don't know, make up for his lack of years by fronting up. Yeah, showing he's in the big boys club. Yeah. Um, and then second row, Tullis and Gray again, um, starting to get a lot of competition and depth in the second row, where maybe there there wasn't an awful lot of it now, Rory. Yeah, um, Tullis is is definitely he's he's probably one of the candidates for a player of the tour so far, and you'd think he'll probably get the nod again on the, on Saturday. Um, yeah, he's he's been great, and I think he hasn't he hasn't struggled. Um, people maybe thought you know it's a Richie Gray was a big loss, but I think getting Richie rested and giving Tulis a bit more experience has, has certainly helped him. I mean, this is only what is probably his uh, second, third cap. Uh, third, that was his third cap. I think cause his yeah. first was off the bench against Italy. I think. Yeah. So um, you know, not uh, not massively experienced, but I think that that's that will do do him good, and certainly against you know against the country of his birth as well. He's um, he's he's tr- he's well and truly Scottish now because they won't they won't forgive him for that one. <laughs> um, and and Brody, are you happy with with um, eight out of ten for Gray and Tullis? Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was Stat Boy's kind of game. He was coming up in defence. He was making um, some hits. He was carrying ball. Um, and I thought Tullis was awesome, just brilliant, especially in the line out where he really sort of um, tried to mop up some some problems we were having there. I mean, you know, Rory said earlier that no one's really done badly on this tour. The person who's done the worst on this tour wasn't even on it. It's Grant Gilchrist. Um, mm. The, the enforcer is no more because Tulis has stepped ahead of him um, and it's a large step ahead of him as well. And I, I sort of wonder if that's, um, you know, maybe it for Grant Gilchrist. He's got a long way to go to, to break into a starting 15 with Scotland, let alone the bench. Um, particularly when you look at the likes of um, Harley, who can cover the second row, hasn't even had a pop in this tour yet. So... I think, I mean, Tulis has been excellent. Johnny Gray was, they were, the pair of them were really good on Saturday. And you look at the, the players who didn't play, 
and you think this um, doesn't look great for for Grant Gilchrist. I mean, you wonder, Rory, whether or not working under someone like Richard Cockrell might help someone like Gilchrist. Yeah, I mean, I think he he might actually be be Cockrell's kind of player. Um, it's uh, you know a bit more of that kind of traditional forward grunt, maybe a bit more set piece oriented, but at the same time, Toulis fits perfectly into what Townsend's looking for, which is which is ball players. Um, mm. So it would be interesting to see if there is a is a maybe a kind of club versus uh, country requirement. I don't know if uh, Tooney is allowed to influence selection or indeed whether Cockerell would would take any advice. But um, and uh, I mean, there's also there's Lewis Carmichael who's with the you know who's out with the squad, uh, who's on loan from Edinburgh to the Western Force, and he'll be going he'll be going back to Edinburgh for next season, I think. So you know he's another one that could come into the come into the equation. Yeah, and he seems to be getting quite a lot of good write-ups. He's actually, I think, featured for Western Force, although I think it was one of these... You see the McPhail scholarship they used to do where they'd send mm-hmm. players over to New Zealand. I don't know what happened to that, but they, it I seemed think to be still the same. Going. Yeah, well, it just seemed to be with Carmichael that they sent him across to get some experience, but actually he's been getting game time and doing quite well by all accounts. Yeah, I think... I mean, I'm not sure what the, the arrangement with, with him was, whether he went under his own steam, as some players have done. If they're not getting a getting a chance um, in the in the SRU system, or, or whether it was a sort of um, a scholarship thing. I mean, as far as I know, the McPhail scholarship still still going. I can't remember who got it this year, but uh, certainly last year it was it was going. And they've also got a scholarship thing that they do with uh, one of the South African universities as well, which they've started up now too. There's uh, one of the young forwards went off to do that at Stellenbosch, I think. Um, we we'll move to the back row now. I'll I'll save number eight for a bit because um, I think that needs some coverage. But um, Hamish Watson, 8 out of 10. Um, uh, you know, I think he, he dropped off a couple of tackles maybe, but um, certainly held his own again, I think, against against Hooper and uh, Hooper um, Brody. Yeah, um, this is a different type of game we saw from him on Saturday. It wasn't as kind of um, flashy. There weren't as many turnovers, you know, um, aside from taking that try exceptionally well and where he got the gas and lungs to be on the end of that. I won't. I don't know, but he was um, he was very much dogged down in trench warfare on Saturday, and he stood up to it. And that was a, that was a world class. You know, back row they were playing against, and yeah, I thought he was great in a very understated way, like a kind of traditional six. He just got in there and, and did what he needed to do. And that's maybe something we needed to see from him, Rory, is more of the sort of quieter game where he just quietly goes about his work rather than um, sort of the pinball action of careering through, you know, an entire forward pack and making yards. Yeah, I mean that was a that was a tussle uh, at the break breakdown that it always is against Australia. Even if Pocock's not playing, um, Hooper was I think he was probably Australia's standout player. And you know the Scottish Scottish guys were were under a fair amount of amount of pressure, and Watson had to had to uh, you know he had to, to front up in in defence. I, I guess you could look at his um, you could look at his seven out of ten as being six out of ten plus one for the try, um, and that would probably that would probably be fair. You know he certainly put in a Putting a good shift, and but the you know the seventh position yeah, helped him out, helped him out to be in the in the right place to finish that one. And then John's gone for nine out of ten for John Barkley. I mean, I, I, it looks like he's given the extra points just for the work he, he's done as captain in, in terms of the communication with the referee. And there has been a change, I think, Rory, in terms of the way referees are, are reacting. I think and, and 
to Scotland um, under Barclay as opposed to under Laidlaw? I think we've said in the past. Would you do you think that's still the case here? Did he do a good, yeah. a good job? I think. I mean, yeah. I think Barclay's just one of these guys that he seems to he seems to command a bit of bit more respect. Um, it could just be something as simple as the fact he's taller. I don't know. Keach um, <laughs> always had that thing about wanting a, wanting a second row for captain because he could dominate the opposition and the referee. And there might just be something about you know having a having a kind of more imposing figure to talk to. But I think it is just it's the way the way the guy carries himself as well. He's you know he's very I mean he's very laid back um, off the field, but I think on on the field you know he's 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 a he's quite quite serious. He's a student of the game. Think and uh, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna make sure that his side are getting getting everything they can, um, not just in talking to the referee, but obviously um, when he's guttling about at the bottom of rocks as well, which doesn't always get him on the right side of the referee, but um, he'll usually stand up and have a chat, try and figure out what's going on. And and, and Brody is, is Barkley now Scotland captain for you, or can you see sort of Laidlaw coming back in? I think. Laidlaw may come back in just for that kind of um, player coach kind of thing, almost that he gives, you know, his his um, his sort of thinking game's excellent. Barclays picks his battles with the ref a little bit more uh, wisely than than Bark uh, than Laidlaw does. You get the impression with Grieg that he's just incensed about everything that goes wrong, um, whereas Barclay I think is a little bit more like, okay, well we'll take that one, but I'll maybe moan about the next one, and I think that kind of helps the referee not just have a kind of constant yap in his ear and that when he does actually have a a complaint it's a little bit it's got a little bit more weight to it um that's certainly what what i see anyway um i thought he was very good on saturday hey he's a scotland captain that won in sydney for the first time yeah huge props you know massive congratulations to him he gave away a few daft penalties he got caught out a couple of times but Given the absolute attrition that was going on at the breakdown and the sort of level of um, player that he was up against, um, I think he's he's been excellent. He's had a, a magnificent season by anyone's standards, and you know he's capping that with this tour. Well, we, speaking of penalties, um, do you want to take a guess at how many penalties Barkley actually is 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 down as giving away, Brody? It's probably only about two, two or three. It, I would suggest it's one. One, there you go. According to ESPN. Um, Rory, have you looked at the stats for the game? I have unfortunately got them in front of me, so I wouldn't like to. But I can, I can look away now. I haven't, look, well, I haven't looked at your next question, which I can guess. Yes. Well, well how many penalties did Ryan Wilson give away? Um, I have a funny six. feeling it was something like six. Yeah. Six or six. seven. Yep, that's it on the nose. Um, if uh, he, I think after that, it's Sander Ferguson's on two, and then the rest are fairly evenly spread. Uh, yeah. Between forwards and backs, uh, if you take away those six penalties, then um, we would have conceded nine to Australia's eight, and um, we conceded fifteen. So it, uh, you could John's you could gone, say yeah, you could yeah. say discipline was an issue, or you could just say Ryan Wilson's discipline was an issue. Well, that was my you lead nicely into my next question: is what you know what what is is it down to the way Wilson plays, and and does he need to play like that? Um, or was that an issue? Do you think, Rory? Um, it's a good, it's a good question because he does give you that kind of edge and that dog, which Scotland are often lacking. And player, but players that do that are always going to be kind of on the edge of doing something rash or foolish. And 
I mean, the, the the penalty conceded on the deck when he got sent off, you could argue that would have been a try if he hadn't got in there and slowed the ball down. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it seemed like it was a repeated infringement warning, but most of the infringements were him getting warned. So it just seemed like it was him getting, <laughs> you know, him getting the warning and then getting getting binned for it. Um, it's it's a tricky one. He, you know, yeah, he play, he plays on the edge, and there is there is possibly a requirement for that. But at the same time, um, yeah, six penalties for one player is, is far too much to be given away in an international test match. Um, and and Brody, I mean, I was just looking at the stats, and um, I, I know you know Roy's right. You do get a bit of the dog with Wilson, but outside of that, I mean, he he only made nine tackles compared to you know Barkley and uh, Hamish Watson were both I think fourteen for. Watson and 15 for Barkley um, and then he's made um, uh, 18 metres from five runs uh, compared to his opposite number who got 32 metres over seven runs so I'm, I mean outside of a bit of the dog it, it, is there anything that Wilson actually gives Scotland that I mean is is he Scotland's first choice or is, are there others that we need to come back? I'm not a huge fan of Ryan Wilson I think that's fair to say Um when you talk about having a bit of a dog, a bit of a dog in a player, I think of players who are combative. I think of players who play on the line. I don't think he does either of those things. I think he is the kind of player who, I mean, the tone was set on Saturday with that first interaction on the on the touchline when Rory Hughes got pushed on the deck, and then in came, you know, Ryan Wilson to save the day and started pushing people around, and then Fagerson came running 30 meters to get involved as well, and everybody's getting pushed and shoved, and Ryan Wilson's kind of lost it a bit at that point, and then you know he goes into the next breakdown, and he just—it's not even aggressive what he's doing; it's just stupid. He's the kind of player that. If you played with him, you'd be as annoyed about him as the opposition are because he's just doing stupid things. And I don't mind so much that the, the penalty that he gave away for the try, fine, whatever, yellow card. But it was a yellow card waiting to happen. And not for a good reason, not for, you know, a kind of um, like <sighs> Dylan Hartley's a player that's got a bit of the dog about him. Right. And he will do stupid things. But for every stupid thing he does, he'll do something aggressive and good that, that you know, clear out a ruck he's no right to clear out or he'll, he'll make a tackle he's no right to make. Wilson doesn't do those things, but he does the stupid things, and I just don't get it. I mean, at number eight, he doesn't offer a lot either. I mean, you go back through the sort of eights we've had in the past, you know, Ali Hogg, Johnny BT, these guys were ball-carrying eights, even Dave Callum. 10 points if anyone remembers him you know these guys were ball carrying eights they were fairly straightforward Strauss does it to, to a good degree I don't get it with Wilson I'm sorry I just don't get it yeah we, I think we were having a chat of a very brief exchange on Twitter Rory you and I with uh, the one of the lads from the Thistle saying that's what Scotland black is, is a big ball yeah. carrying eight and you you look at David Denton who hopefully um, now, he moved from Bath to, I can't remember where he's moved to he moved to another is it Northampton or Harlequins Worcester, maybe Worcester, one of the, one of the clubs down south. I don't know my joke. <laughs> south of Leeds is shoddy, um, but you, I, we, Denton, a lot, you know, Denton gets a lot of flack. Um, some of it justified, but his last game for Scotland against Australia, it was a superb performance, and I think we maybe miss that big ball carrying eight, and uh, you know, outside of Strauss. 
Ash has fallen off the pace a little bit. You know, you, you might hope that Bradbury comes through and develops, but it, it's hard to see where the next big ball carrying number eight is coming from Scotland. Yeah, uh, maybe look to the under under twenties. Um, Todd, uh, number eight for the under twenties. He looks he looks a good prospect. You wonder if someone like maybe Callum Hunter Hill, who's captain at the moment, uh, he's got a pro contract with Edinburgh. He's in the second row, but you, you wonder he could be. You know, he could he could shunt it about like a like a Murray. Um, yeah, it's it's tricky to see because I mean Denton's a Denton's a great lad and he, yeah he's had some he's had some fine games but again he's he's maybe um, not quite the the complete skill set I'm sure Tooney would love a, a Johnny Beatty or a Simon Taylor um, you know I think a a big it doesn't have to be huge but I think a, a solid number eight you know if Scotland had a had a Billy Billy a Billy Bunapola, um you know they would be they would be flying. Um, and then we'll, we'll have a quick look at the bench. We'll not dwell too much more on um, Scotland's issues at eight. But um, the bench, anyone stand out for you particularly, Rory, um, apart from um, our new you know, new fan favourite, Ross Ford? Yeah, um, Matt Scott, had, you know, he, uh, he got a solid half. He was much, much better there than, or well, he was actually all right against Italy, as, as it turned out. But yeah, he, was, um, he came across a lot better and... Had a had a pretty decent game. Um, WP I think seemed okay. That you know having the having him that way around with with figures in until he's until he's back to full full fitness. Um, and uh, yeah, Fordy again came off, came off the bench did did quite well. And and Brody, anyone for you stand up? I mean, um, Alan Dell um, you know won a scrum penalty today against the Lions. Um, I think so. Can't remember who on Twitter was saying he's gone from fourth choice end up to line in the space of a season. It can be done. Look at Ryan Grant. You have a good season on the lines. You you time it well, and you know you can get in there. Um, I thought Josh Strauss was good, mainly because he wasn't Ryan Wilson um, when he came on, and Swinson got a bit of a hard time. But you know, I, I think it was fairly inauspicious what happened there. Um, and I don't think you can blame him too badly for that. But no, nobody really sort of absolutely stood out. But again, nobody did anything really wrong. Um, Forty again, I thought was okay. Um, you know, the Aussie hooker was kind of um, almost on one knee for a lot of it uh, hooking, um, and uh, Forty put in a counter hook and you know he won the ball hooray it's only yeah. taken 109 caps <laughs> yeah I have to say John did send through his apology uh, for us for me to read out but I haven't got it to hand um, but yeah he was he, he was particularly um, apologetic um, as, as was I last week um, in terms of the game against Fiji then um, you think it'll be all change Rory we're going to see the Tuni Tombola or just the, the odd player coming in from those that have departed yeah, I mean, well, there's no uh, there's no Dunbar. Um, most people probably would have thought Bradbury would get a run, but he's gone home. Uh, there was no Finn, who's off with the Lions, and we don't think he's going to come back. Uh, so, yeah, you've got to think probably Horn's going to start at 10. Um, Jackson's been doing the press this week, so maybe he's going to be he's going to be playing. They might play him at 15, perhaps. Um, you can't, I can't see them... Can't see them changing the pack too much. How do we look through who's not played yet? Um, Alex Allen, Darcy Ray, George Turner. There's a you know there's a whole front row there that maybe they might bring onto the bench. Um, Sean Kennedy, Nick Grigg. 
haven't played. I'd like to see Greg get at least half an hour. Um, I think he he probably deserved it from the end of the season, and he's got rid of one centre, so that maybe points points towards that. But I don't. I mean, I think that he he's not he's not going to want to uh, to throw this game away, having done such good work to to beat Australia in Australia, um, to then lose to to Fiji in the in the third game. I mean, it's not going to be an easy game. Their their home crowd are going to be right behind them. Um, but it it is really one that we should be looking to win. So um, I think there'll probably be a fair bit of consistency. Probably uh, I bring Strauss in again uh, at number eight, seeing as we can't, I can't pick Barkley. Um, maybe or maybe maybe he'll go Barkley, Watson, Hardy, some sort of crazy crazy nonsense like that. And and Brody, um, it's potential banana skin for Scotland. Um, have you got a, what's your prediction for the score? Um, I think Scotland will win by 10 or 15 points. 15 season go fourth, I think, in the world. Rory, is that yeah, uh, more, more than Yeah, more than 15. So 16 or six, margin of 16 or more um, would see them go, see them go fourth. Um, so I'll go 16 nil. Um, no, I, do, I think uh, I think it could it could be quite a high scoring one. I think uh, I can't see Fiji not scoring anything. Um, I'm sure that would probably be a target for Matt Taylor in the defence uh, to try and keep keep the, a high sort of high high scoring swashbuckling side keep them out. But uh, yeah, I think probably I think it should be twenty something to ten maybe something like that. Well, Fiji beat Italy on Saturday, twenty two nineteen. Um, they seem to have very good place kicking, so that would point to. Um, at least something off the boot from Fiji. Yeah. Um, of the players that we'll be familiar with, Nico Matawalu at nine, Nakarawa in the second row, and uh, Vilam Vata from Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, the the sort of Edinburgh and Glasgow players should be fairly familiar with those. Um, I'm, I'm not going to patronise Fiji by going on about um, you know structureless play and lack of set pieces and all those sort of cliches about them, um, but. You know, Scotland have just got to go out there, play to this game plan, and and keep doing what we're doing. You know, playing a bit deeper, keeping it relatively loose, offloading, and I think if we do that, we'll win. By how many will depend on how well we contain the Fijians. Yeah, yeah, I think it's quite interesting comparing it to the last time that Scotland toured down Fiji, which I think Rob was it Rob Harley's debut. It was a Scott Johnson tour, I think. It was did Scott Johnson take that one? Am I, am I getting ahead of myself? Are <laughs> you hallucinating? I'm hallucinating. I think it was Scott Johnson. I, remember we, we, I think we had Richie Vernon uh, writing, giving us dispatches from it. Did we, Rory? Really? No, that's, I think that was the World Cup. Oh, is that the World that Cup? Oh, anyway, World Cup 2011. The, the tour to Fiji, the one, I think it was the tour where they, they, the last time they played Fiji, Scotland were a very different proposition and it, it was quite a tight game. So it would just be interesting to see. I think now we were able to sort of play them at their own game whilst having a solid defence. It'll be interesting to see what sort of score there is. Albeit there's always the you know the, the risk or the, the threat of um, you know a couple of the Fijians having the uh, touch of the Parises and just taking it on themselves and doing something utterly ridiculous. Well yeah we know I mean we know Matawalu and Nakarawa can do that because we've seen them do it plenty of times for Glasgow so um, yeah. That's something that the, the the guys will be aware of. I'm not sure how much game time Matuel has been having. On I mean, he was at Bath, but he, he's moved somewhere else since then, I think. 
there's been um, a bit of uns- the, with the, uh, yeah there was a uh, I don't know there was a bit of um, uh, uh, a, a to do I think with Matawalu. Um, okay. Um, I in, I think he was um, spoken to by the police at one point for right. um, so, something some some indiscretions which are best are probably best uh, not go too much detail into. But uh, yeah, I mean, did you see the Nakarawa kick chase against Australia? Uh, yeah, I, I did actually. I yeah, I saw, that I was a video. Of it. That was all, it's always upsetting to see a forward do a kick chase and then not finish it off. Yeah. One, one thing I will say about uh, Matawalu is, is that there's a real hoik rugby legend who said to me that when he's had a drink in him, he's a wee bugger. <laughs> <laughs> and coming from this guy, I thought, okay. <laughs> so um, yeah, maybe question marks around his uh, his, his off-field activities there. But um, let, let's not get it wrong. If he's if he's playing and um, you know with a smile on his face and he's chucking the ball around, it, it can be it can be a very dangerous proposition. As can Nakarawa. Uh, Matawal is playing for the Exeter. The uh, as Blood and Mud would have it, the uh, racist Exeter Chiefs. Okay, uh-huh. I'm just uh, I'm actually just looking back at the stats from um, the last time Scotland played Fiji in Fiji, which was Tavisser's first game. Oh, that was it, yeah. He because he, quali- uh, he qualified on that game. He went on the tour, but couldn't play the first two matches. Yeah, that's right. And he scored two tries, and Laidlaw took all the rest of the penalties, playing at fly half that day. Um, also playing was Mr. R. Ford, captain. Oh, was that that? Was that in those those days? Yeah, and Ross Rennie too. Wow! All the all the names. Comment of the week. Okay, it's time for comment of the week. Um, to be eligible for comment of the week, you have to leave a comment on the articles on the blog, or, or or alternatively, you can leave us a review on iTunes, or as I think it's now known, the Apple Podcast app. Um, we've not had any reviews this week. Boo. Um, please leave us reviews if you can do it does help spread the word um, Rory what have you picked out for your comment of the week ok having done two last week and gone on for too long I've, I've kept it brief this week um, I found one from I'm going to say Niall because we, we don't have a good track record called Neil on the site so um, <laughs> and that's how his name's is that's how his name his name's uh, spelt so I hope I hope we got it right um, what he said was what did Fatland say he didn't take our boys for because we couldn't win away under pressure for exclamation marks. Good luck beating the All Blacks with the reserve, Welsh reserve team, you muppet. <laughs> yep, I think that's fairly spot on. That's, yeah, that that's, that's, speaks for itself, really. Yeah. Um, Brody, what have you chosen for comment of the week? Well, I'm uh, going for a bit of smug hindsight, and I've gone onto the Australia v Scotland team announcement, and comment is from Martin which um, if you think we're being slightly dour about an amazing Scottish win, this was Martin's prediction. Let's not mince our words. This looks like an A-team backline that should be playing in the Churchill Cup against Italy A in Vancouver or when we played the Blacks in the World Cup 10 years ago, three exclamation marks. Hughes, Tonks, Dunbar, Wilson, Brown and Fagerson really shouldn't be in the starting lineup either on form or where compared against an alternative selection. I will just about say that Lee Jones and Reed have actually done okay at club level to come into a bit of form, but I would have preferred Visser or Hoyland, to be honest, and Dell should be the incumbent until Reed does a lot more to oust him. It has experimental written all over it and perhaps done in such a way that 
If there is a defeat, he can deflect it because of the changes. I really do fear for a 20 to 30 point loss here. Triple exclamation mark. <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't like. Well, I, I would love to be that man's bookie. <laughs> Um, yeah, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, I've I've got two. I've got a very brief one, which um, was uh, a comment on the uh, the two I've chosen are both on the podcast post. One um, I can't remember who it was, um, and I probably don't want to name them anyway. Who said, "By the way, we won against Italy," um, and we've probably been a little bit negative about um, some aspects of Scotland's play against Australia, but I think that's only because we expect. A lot more from them these days and I think quite rightly so I think against England where I gave everybody not out of 10 you know it, I think we're in a position now where we need to be a little bit harder and expect a little bit more and I think we've said it wasn't a vintage performance but we got the win and that's that in itself is quite a good thing um, the second comment is um, from referendum who said delighted to have the immortal question asked I've always wondered yet never heard anyone else ask Whatever happened to Dougie Donnelly? He just disappeared overnight, <laughs> and yet a legend in his own time. Could you endeavour to answer these, this inquiry fully in next week's podcast, or even start the pod with one of Dougie's unforgettable one-liners, please? Um, well, I'm happy to say that Dougie Donnelly is writing for a golf magazine, according to Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> and there's lots of his... He's still doing after-dinner speaking, um, according to YouTube. Um, but I thought we could do a lovely regular feature if there's any traction in it, which is, have you seen Dougie Donnelly? Or, or indeed any other Scottish uh, sports presenter or commentator. Have you seen uh, Andrew Cotter in the supermarket? Um, Ellie Barber um, out for a walk with a dog? Um, you know, please get in touch. Quite happy to make it a regular feature. Um Brody and Rory, you Chick seen Young? Yeah, Chick Young putting out the bins, perhaps. Yeah. Um, Rory, Brody, you seen any um, Scottish commentators or sports presenters out and about this week? Not this week. I met Brendan Foster in an elevator once. That that'll do, Brody. No. No. no w- I, li- I live quite a boring life. With WP now <laughs> eating uh, ribs in TGI Fridays, your best celebrity spot. Lots of ribs. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of sauce. Right, we are going to do our uh, Lions hot take. Um, we're not covering the Lions in any great detail, uh, mainly because um, I refuse to until there are five Scots players in the squad and we're not there yet. Um, so we're going to take a slightly alternative look. Uh, and Brody, this week you've suggested uh, what can the Lions learn from zoos? So uh, do you want to go first, Brody? Uh, yes, yes. Um, so I've looked uh, specifically at zoos in uh, the wonderful country of New Zealand to keep it um, current and Very tropical. Good. And uh, I found that Auckland Zoo has three lions in captivity. Wellington has five. And I'm probably pronouncing this wrong. Orana has seven, which with my rudimentary math makes that a full starting lineup of actual lions in captivity in New Zealand. And at least two of those zoos have more more lions than, than there are Scots in the lion squad. At least two of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is um, yeah quite telling, I think, in many ways. Another fun fact I came across when I was kind of looking at zoos and lions in New Zealand was the first ever actual captive lion to set foot in New Zealand was in 1906. 
I must call none, none less than King Dick. Um, or <laughs> or uh, Warren Gatland, for sure. <laughs> um, Rory, what, what, what can uh, the lines okay. learn from zoos? Well, that's interesting actually, because I was I was looking at the the other end of the the other end of the globe, and Edinburgh Zoo only has two lions, um, and as technically Warren Gatland did for quite a while, um, but maybe if maybe if Edinburgh Zoo had more lions, then um, Scottish lions would be more familiar sightings rather than a sort of strange strange mythical beast. Yeah, very good. Um, I um, I saw one of those lions in Edinburgh Zoo capture and eat a pigeon. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what that says about the lions, but it was yeah. quite um, it was quite something at the time. Well, when I... Edinburgh Zoo as well. I've got a fun fact on that one. Um, was gifted to the city of Edinburgh by the Salveston family, who were um, famous for making all their money from whaling in the South Pacific seas. So um, a sort of element of hypocrisy there to uh, to Edinburgh Zoo. <laughs> depends, that, um, depends on your attitude to zoos. And yeah. whaling, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I've uh, yeah, which kind of follows on from that because I think the uh, Salveston family w- were the ones that gave Edinburgh the um, the penguins, and uh, so my, I, my point is that animals can actually thrive in captivity. You know, Scotland is cold country, but it's not that cold, and you know, yeah, they've got a pretty thriving penguin population. And uh, it struck me that a similar example was um, the chief scrum half Finlay Christie, who, despite being pale and ginger has grown into a thoroughly useful rugby player since leaving Scotland age nine. And this maybe proves that rugby is not necessarily about genes, but environment. And that should give uh, give Scottish people hope if, you know, if we can get our skills development pathways started early enough, it, we can create great rugby players. Well, if you think about it then, Ali, if you compare Finley Christie to um, a Scottish scrum half say laid law then Ali Price who's come from Saracens is the control subject if we're doing it scientifically I guess yeah he's, he's come through the, yeah he probably came through the English English system yeah um, I um, was surprised to find that there is actually an EO article on looking after lions um, but, <laughs> but I didn't go for that I've gone for the website which is uh, lion, lions tigers and bears dot org um, there's nothing in between. That's all one word: lions, tigers, and bears.org, which is a, um, dedicated to providing a safe haven to abused, abandoned, exotic animals, while inspiring an educational forum to end exotic animal trade. And uh, on there, uh, it gives a lot of tips about uh, how to look after lions in zoos. It says most lions are solitary by nature and have and afforded their own private space if they are not amenable to living with other lions. Lions housed together are compatible and all lions have ample space to retreat and hide as needed while social tensions are resolved. Uh, so what the lions can learn from that is that nobody should be uh, put in a room or, or sat next to James Haskell. <laughs> Correct. I just yeah. want to clarify something. Rory, are we, are we suggesting that Finley Christie may be held captive? Yeah, the, the Kiwis are keeping keeping a good Scottish, mm. a Scottish rope, one that we could, we could be having great things from and they're holding them against against our will. Ah, okay. And, and speak, speaking of uh, captivity, you might, I've got uh, one more point, which is that uh, sometimes you have to keep, you know, most of the time you have to keep the beasts locked up, but it's actually quite good for publicity if occasionally one gets let out every so often. Um, <laughs> but the actual, the, the penguin parade at Edinburgh Zoo started when the, in 1950, apparently the, several of them escaped and just started wandering about. But, um, I think in the case of the Lions, you know, we've been denied Ross Moriarty going beast mode by injury, but um, Peter Omani and Sean O'Brien, who are probably not everyone's first choice back rows uh, at the start of the tour, 
um, have you know have come onto a, a, a bit of a stormer, and uh, the, you know there's talk that Omani's now going to captain captain the side on on Saturday. He's, he's certainly gone well enough, but uh, this kind of this happy accident has has probably uh, it's probably helped Warren Gatlin because it means people are talking about talking about that. They're back to selecting test teams and not talking about all the other stuff that's going on, like um, Owen Farrell and Sam Warburton maybe not being at full fitness or. Uh, the uh, you know the backline misfiring, which until today has been a pretty major problem. Uh, I don't think you know the fact that Alan Dell as a lion isn't going to lose the lions the tests, but not being able to score tries probably will. And uh, just like to give a shout out to Tommy Seymour and his amazing run today that ended in the most horrific pass <laughs> that you will ever see. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was a very Scottish t- uh, three seconds, that, wasn't it? <laughs> um, speaking of Edinburgh Zoo, and I know we're focusing on it a little bit, I live quite close to it, and a couple of years ago there was a macaque that escaped over the fence into the woods and ended up being shot with a tranquilizer dart on the roof of a local uh, hotel. And I can't help thinking, just recalling this story and thinking about Stuart Hogg for some reason. I don't yeah. <laughs> I don't know if there's a crude analogy there. But, shot by, shot you know. by his own side. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah there, actually, I mean, the Edinburgh, Edinburgh Zoo Wikipedia, there's quite a lot of jailbreaks going on. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I think they must have privatised their security at some point. And the, uh, Good yeah, G4S running, running Edinburgh Zoo. Yeah, there's like, they found an ibis in Dundas Street, which is like four miles away from. <laughs> What's miles an ibis? Away from, is that some kind of stork? <laughs> think, no, I think it's like a sort of deer thing, like a. Oh wow! Okay. A bit like a springbok, I think, but not quite. Uh, I got I got quite excited researching this because um, I found a picture of a, a black lion, and I thought, oh, all black lion, here we go. I can have no end of fun with like kiwi lions and stuff but it turned out it was just a cruel internet hoax oh, and someone had just taken a white line and painted it black and have you got have sometimes you, the internet's just heartbreaking have you got any more brody or is, did you be too heartbroken by the black line fake i'm done yeah uh, i mean that killed me i just i've you know. i've got one about quarantining lines which is uh, when they arrive uh, they have to be quarantined for a minimum of 30 days according to protocol as established by an attending veterinarian Lions previously housed together can be quarantined together. Um, so um, what that means is we are unlikely to see um, Finn Russell um, get a game because there's more than 30 days to go. Um, oh, they're they're hot on uh, quarantine in New Zealand. Yeah, I understand. Have, have, have you got any others, Rory? I, I've only only one more. Um, I had a wee look at Auckland Zoo as well, and it costs 28 New Zealand dollars entry, which is about 16 quid. And so it, it occurs to me that probably. Um, Seems to be WP Nell has been asked if he wants to see the Lions, um, but he's decided that he'd rather spend his money on a lad's holiday in Fiji. Um, <laughs> and what, what they can learn from that is that the price of the Lions, either on your neck um, or on, from two weeks of scrummaging against the All Blacks or possibly on your wallet, is too high. Very good. Um, I, my last one is um, that all Lions should be prevented from breeding. Uh, unless altered or contracepted males and females are not provided access to each other. Uh, where a male and female lions are housed together, all males to be neutered, or in the case of lions, the males may be altered via a vasectomy. Um, spaying females will often decrease aggression and can have medical benefits for the lions in general. Um, so, yeah, um, just, you know, keep it in your pants, lads. Yeah, no no wives and girlfriends on tour, and, uh, yeah, if <laughs> they... If they had to get the snip to go on tour, they probably wouldn't be the highlight of a rugby player's career anymore. 
no, no, I'm, I'm not suggesting. Um, I'm, uh, I'm not <laughs> suggesting we, we we start spaying the light that you know spaying anybody. <laughs> Except potentially Mike Phillips, but I think that's you know that 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 be for the good of, for the good of humanity. Yeah. Okay. Um. We will do Hands in the Ruck now. Um, it's our Any Other Business section of the podcast. Um, Rory, do you want to go first with your Hands in the Ruck? Um, yeah, I, uh, well, I, I was going, you know, it would be too easy to um, to say Warren awarding £120,000 worth of uh, money to the Welsh Rugby Union for calling up four guys who are never going to play a game Um <laughs> Or whatever, whatever the money, this crazy money they get for their for each uh, person on the on the tour at all. But yeah, there's enough people ranting about that, so I'm going to go for some some positives. Um, my first, uh, my main main one was actually the under 20s who finished the junior world championships in fifth position, beating Australia again. Um, so I guess that is taking my hands out of the ruck. Um, and yeah, it was a great great game to watch, and Scotland came came away on the right end of a 50-50 call in the last minute. Um, it's good that the next generation are learning to win and also they're not fearing, you know, the guys that they're going to be playing who play for Wales or play for Australia. Um, and, you know, in the coming coming years, they're not going to be, they're not going to be scared of, of playing them or indeed beating them. And I think that that's another thing that's going to help sort of um, keep the, keep the um, the development of rugby in Scotland going if we can keep building a winning culture at all levels. So um, credit to uh, credit to John DL for that. Um, and the other thing which does have its hand in the rut was, uh, probably, it was the announcement today that uh, Doddy Weir is, gonna, is uh, facing a battle against motor neuron disease and um, he's uh, going to help, you know, do, do as much as he can for fundraising and research um, to try and, you know, help with it with his fight against that so i just wanted to send our best wishes to doddy for that and uh yeah go out there and check out his uh, his fundraising pages and so on and once he gets them organized and uh, give him a hand yeah it's always good because it's easy to get modeling about these things and um you know i think it's far too early to start writing obituaries um yeah and things like that so it was really it, I, I that was sort of i already had one in the pocket but that was sort of my backup as well but yeah he was my favorite player growing up and I remember him coming up to Berwick and um, I think talking to us when I was training there and um, playing Falcons. So yeah, it's you know it's sad news, but um, yeah, again, I, I think it's probably one. Of, what you got to say, Roy? I was just going to say I was just going to say it's probably one of the first uh, first autographs I hunted out when I was a when I was a young man. Yeah, and I think there was that um, thing I put on uh, Twitter was his you know his reaction to. Um, you know, having his knee obliterated on the Lions tour in 1997 just seemed to chime with his reaction today. You know, with that announcement, was something like, "Oh well, we've had a good run, haven't we?" I think that's what he said on the Lions tour, and mm. um, literally second, you know, after literally just being told on camera that that his tour was over. Um, yeah, my other one was uh, Michael Checker, um, and um, there was two things. One, I think I can't remember if you were somebody suggested it might be Rob Robertson, but somebody was say uh, had asked him in the press conference about um, everyone writing off Scotland's chances and him saying, well, I don't think this really impressed did. Well, um, I found at least two examples where they did. Um, green and gold rugby, I think, suggested by 12 points and um, 
there was another possibly the Sydney Morning Herald that also suggested it was going to be a walkover um, for Australia as well. Um, so um, yeah, there was that. Um, and the other thing with Michael Checker was him phoning up the fan that had a rant, um, which just <laughs> made me sad that that um, you know I hadn't had a phone call from Big Vern when I gave everybody not out of ten, which I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We always be a, a, a great, great source of sadness to me because, because I would have loved to have taken that phone call. <laughs> You're lucky Big Van didn't show up at your door. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been something. <laughs> uh, Brody, what's out of towns in York? Well, I've not been on the pod for a wee while. Um, so in that time, I went to the Heineken Cup final at Murrayfield. Um, the one on the Friday night, you know, the kind of the, the little brother one that was Stade Francais against Gloucester. And one thing I found particularly distressing about the whole experience was um, the queuing system that Heineken put in place for their bar, which is basically one of those things like you get at an airport, you know, where you go like four metres one way and then you turn, you go back four metres, and then you turn, you go back four metres, you know, and you basically zigzag all the way at the bar. Problem was, there was about 20,000 people at Murrayfield and there was really no need for a queuing system. And furthermore, we're British. We are world class at queuing. There would have not been an issue. You could have put 20,000 people trying to get a pint and we'd have formed a queue. It wouldn't have been an issue. Um, so that annoyed me greatly. Uh, and the other one was slightly more um, contemporary, which was uh, Henry Pergos's finger tape. Um, I find this deeply upsetting too. <laughs> he, there was a shot of him on the bench on Saturday and he had all these little bits of tape and he was kind of scissors and he was sort of wrapping up each finger knuckle um, and and then putting them on the tips of his fingers as well. And this was about sort of 15, maybe 18 minutes into the game and he's still farting around with little bits of tape on the bench. And I'm just thinking, no one else does this. You know, why? Why? Stop it. Just, you know, he's not a young guy. It's just... You know, you get superstitions. You put your left boot on first, you put your right boot. Some people tape up their wrists. Some people do this, that, and the other. But that is just stupid. Um, so, yeah. It's very good. Um, uh, the other thing I thought was really good is I was really impressed that Townsend invite Hoggy to go out. Um, I thought that was uh, a, a marvellous bit of man management to, to get him out when he was obviously feeling quite low, having, you know, uh, come off the lines to it and uh, really seemed to throw himself into it and enjoy himself. Yeah, John Barkley. John Barkley would be in a wardrobe waiting for him for like three <laughs> hours. He'd be like phoning up, going, "Has he got off the plane yet? Has he got off the plane yet?" It's like it's like that kind of um, Cato and uh, Inspector Clouseau thing, you know? That's <laughs> yeah. a, a wee reference there for the youngsters. Um, <laughs> he comes flying out the cupboard. You know? I, I did wonder if someone had had yes. Doctor James, <laughs> Sir Doctor James Robson, had a word and said, "Look." <laughs> If he were, don't give, please don't give him a fright, otherwise he'll burst another blood vessel in his eye. His, his cheek will collapse. <laughs> um, well, on that note, uh, that seems as good a point as any to um, say goodbye. Um, we will be back next week to review the Fiji game in our last episode of this uh, series. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Scott Rugby Blog. We're on Facebook. Um, I think that's just search it on the search function i can't remember scottish rugby blog scottish rugby blog there you go thanks rory um and you can follow um me and i think you're on twitter too aren't you rory with the pig barbarians and yourself um yeah no just that brody smothers yeah Yeah, i'm at cammy black Uh, rory you've got your own one as well haven't you i do but uh 
it wouldn't be of any interest if you're interested in rugby. Yeah, you, if, so, you're interested, uh, just... if you're interested in Queens of the Stone Age ticket pricing on Google, <laughs> then then follow Ray on Twitter. Um, oh, I, had a t- I, I got some eventually, though. I got them in the end. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad good, to hear it. Uh, well, anyway, for, for the moment, that's uh, goodbye from me and goodbye from Rory. Goodbye. And goodbye from Rory. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers. Cheers. See you By later. the way, bye. I found uh, I found the uh, McPhail scholarships. Oh, all right. Yeah, who was it? Um, they, well, they, they don't seem to have done one this year. I think you're right. There was two um, young guys, Patrick Kelly and Ross McCann. All right. Who were backs, I think, who went in 2016. They don't seem to announce one this year, at least not that I've seen. Ross um, McCann's uh, playing played with the under 20s, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, it may just be that I haven't found this year's press release, but I don't remember hearing about it. Um, last year, Callum Hunter-Hill, Ben Robbins, Ben Cairns and Duncan Hodge. Hilarious. Um, <laughs> 2014 was Adam Ash and Ewan McQuillan, who must have disappeared off the face of the earth. Wow. Um, yeah, because Adam Ash got called back early from that. Yeah, uh, Don Caskey and Kenny Murray coaches. Um, 2013, Sam Adalgo, Klein, Finn Russell, Shade Monroe and Alex Duncan. No idea. 2012 was Stat Boy and Gregor Hunter. Nice. And 2011 was Grant Gilchrist, Harry Leonard, and George Turner, which shows how old. I keep thinking George Turner's a young guy, but. No. Yeah. He's not. And then before that, your Finley Gillis, Lewis Niven, Roddy Grant, Kevin Bryce, Jake, Graham Hogg, and John Barkley was the first in 2005. Graham Hogg. Graham Hogg, yeah. Matt Hogg, wow. Well, there you go. That's a little. That's that's our first ever podcast extra. I can stick that on the yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Cheers for that. See you guys. See you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.